Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.48 a.m. Central Standard Time. It is February the 20th, 2020. Well, it is for me. For you, it's probably the 21st. But be that as it may, I'm going to start out today with a, telling you guys a horror story. Yeah, like a ghost story or something like that. This is going to be from uh, Saifedean Amis. And... He's got a small tweet thread out, and it just reminded me of, well, we'll get into it. We'll, we'll get into it. Uh, first of all, the context, he's responding to a tweet uh, Matt Boyd put out sometime on the uh, 18th. What it is, uh, is that Patreon apparently is now going to give creators cash advances on their subscription money. At uh, Read that as they're going to make loans at at interest rates. I'm not going to read that story, but that's what's going on, is that Patreon is going to start uh, making loans to their uh, creators. What could possibly go wrong? Well, let's let's find out what SAFE has to say about it. He says, the real value proposition of building a business is no longer in selling goods, but in selling debt to customers and profiting from the interest rate arbitrage. (laughs) It's already getting a little spooky, huh? From 2017, quote, Thus, credit card income now represents more than 40% of Macy's profit. That would be Macy's, the the department store that is, (laughs) I think they closed uh, several stores a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he's linking to uh, an article from Fool.com uh, that says that their credit card earnings and real estate sales will drive more than half of their operating income in 2017. Okay, so that's 50% of their operating income. So uh, 40 or 80% of that is going to come from credit card. <laughs> the credit cards that they've been giving to their customers, that their their customers are racking up debt buying garbage okay so yeah it gets a little bit more spooky safe goes on issuing debt is the fiat standards primitive version of mining bitcoin a financial institution that issues debt creates new money instead of needing to solve a proof of work problem they just need to convince you to take on debt that's easy and has lousy difficulty adjustments under the fiat standard the world is drowning in debt because government makes debt into money As I discuss at length in my book, people always have a strong incentive to increase the supply of whatever is used as money. Okay, he's shilling his book. What do you expect? Of course he's going to shill his book. There's still some good nuggets in here. And by the way, I like the book, so whatever. When rye stones were used as money, and that's rye, R-A-I, 
Overproduction eventually led to the use of gigantic stones that needed many men to move them, proof of work. When debt is used as money, every private and public entity's business model becomes interest rate arbitrage. Instead of continuing to monetize debt, Bitcoin allows us to monetize a hard asset whose supply can't rise. If hodling continues to outperform interest rate arbitrage, Bitcoin could be the technical solution that neatly and peacefully obsoletes the fiat standard. So the fee, and then he, his, he ends with this one. The fiat standard business model is as follows. One, find anything to sell, preferably at a loss. Two, borrow from the Fed at 2% interest rate. Three, give credit cards to customers at 20% interest rate. Four, people are in debt for stupid things they don't need, but it's okay because money loses value anyway. And number five, GDP number go up. Why is this a horror story? <laughs> well, the reason I'm equating it to a horror story is beyond the general context of just how horrible this is, it's one of those things where I could see somebody, you know, a couple of friends of mine, especially looking at me going, gee, you didn't already know this? Yes. Yes, I did. This is where the horror story, the, like the horror movie story comes into play where I can see a couple of teenagers who are been running for their lives and are, I don't know, trapped in some kind of spooky house. And they're most likely going to die because as usual, teenagers in movies who are naughty apparently end up in a horror movie and then they get killed. But before they do that, they normally discover something that's really freaking horrific. And it usually goes like this, right? They scared little kids, you know, scared little teenagers out for a party and they, they're going to get axed. They're running from the axe murder. They've seen horrific shit already. And they walk into a room because they're looking for their friend. And their friend is in the middle of this trashed out, gray-toned room in the, in the middle of it, on, on his knees. Just upright, but yet on his knees, just looking blankly, staring into the doorway in which they're coming through. They're like, oh my God, are you okay? And he doesn't say anything. And then as they get their flashlights and they, they spread it over his body, they notice that there's holes in the front of him. That he's bleeding and they figure out that he's probably post-toasty. Ashen face, bleeding from several holes that they see. And all this is horrific. This is like, yes, I, I understand that, that people are getting credit cards and, they're, and, and the people that are giving them their credit cards are borrowing the money at a less interest rate than what they're giving out. So they're actually making... 18% on the whole damn deal. And I'll, I'll cut them a loss of 5% because of all the people that don't pay or whatever in, in either event, as the kids move into the room, because they're so horrified that, that they need to find out more. They start going around to the back of their friend who's kneeling in the middle of the room with holes all through the front. And then they get around to the back of him and realize that his entire back has been blown out and all of his entrails are completely gone, and he's basically an empty shell of a body. And that's when it sets in, when you know the full context of just how bad this shit really is. That's why I thought it was probably fairly important to at least spend a little bit of the morning talking about interest rate arbitrage. SAFE really does paint a pretty bleak picture here of what is, has been going on for so long. And because it's been going on for so long, so many things are dependent now upon that system staying in place. 
that the horror will continue. Macy's making 40% of its operating revenue from credit cards is probably not the best thing in the world. That's going to do it for the community news right now. All right, getting into the morning roundup here. Let's get into this one right now. This is from uh, Lee Quinn. Lee Quinn. I, I think I'm pronouncing her name properly because she was on the last episode of Marty Bent's Tales from the Crypt. I love Marty. I really do. I love Tales from the Crypt. But this very well may be the first episode that I'm never going to be able to get through. His interview with, with this woman is just it's like listening to Roger Ver uh, in debates in like 2017, 2016, and it's so cringe. Just this is this is a woman that I think she is inherently dependent on the system as it stands. Every word that was coming out of her mouth has some kind of affection for the system that we all know is has turned into a fairly evil thing and just needs to be either done away with or locked in a cage or or something anyway she's writing for coindesk.com uh when oh god february the 19th but this is kind of cool open node finds a way for retailers to turn fiat payments into bitcoin using apple pay the Bitcoin payment startup OpenNode just gained access to Apple Pay, according to the startup's head of marketing, Ryan Flowers. This could be a boon for the small subset, set, uh, subset of merchants who want to hold Bitcoin because it allows people to spend dollars through their regular fintech accounts, yet still have those dollars exchanged to Bitcoin for the merchant to receive. The customer's fiat payment goes through OpenNode's partner, Wire, converting Bitcoin and depositing into the merchant's wallet. Merchants can sign up to be part of the private feature release currently in beta before it goes live across the platform in a few months. Quote, the, the shoppers put the card information into the widget that OpenNode is using. In some cases, the card information may already be stored, for example, with your Apple Pay, said Jack Gia, Wire's director of institutional sales. So all the user does is click the buy with Apple Pay button to make the purchase with fiat that the merchant receives as Bitcoin. Okay, I, I'm liking this. It's, it, well, it's, it's better. Okay, definitely better than, you know, fiat to fiat. The same backend rails that offer indirect access to Apple Pay accounts, which both OpenNode and Wire declined to name. Also work for most debit cards. Now shoppers can spend fiat at online stores and choose the merchant to receive Bitcoin. This assumes shoppers are willing to take a few extra seconds to benefit the, the merchant rather than checking out with the Bitcoin button. So this might only suit merchants with a devoted customer base. Quote, our merchants keep some or most of their payments in Bitcoin. Merchants want exposure to Bitcoin. This year, a lot of luxury goods businesses are luxury goods businesses are signing up. OpenNode CEO Afnan Rahman said of the 5,000 merchants registered for the startup so far, OpenNode's Flowers said shoppers are reluctant to spend Bitcoin because of the volatility, but demand among merchants for receiving the cryptocurrency has not dwindled. In particular, Raman said the company has seen the most uptick in 2020 from merchants in India, South Korea, Japan, and China. 
He said OpenNode processes a couple of millions dollars worth of Bitcoin a month for such diehard merchants. The startup will initially deploy the Apple Pay feature with less than a dozen merchant testers. Quote, we're rolling it out slowly to make sure the rate of chargebacks isn't high, said Flowers, describing contested payment credit, payments credit card companies return to customers. By this time next year, Wire and OpenNode hope to complement this feature with a full suite treasury management tool for merchants, Gia said. By relying on Wire, which has a money transmitter license, OpenNode will often offer merchants a Bitcoin savings account where they can earn interest oh no, and pay out invoices. Gia said this would be offering the same function as a bank with the option to cash out Bitcoin to a personal wallet. Quote, we're not looking at revenue right now as much as building up infrastructure. These are all layers on top of the banking system. So connecting these networks to the Bitcoin network through infrastructure is more important right now, Gia said, referencing debit cards and Apple Pay. Apple didn't offer any comments uh, by press time. That, so again, the, the hooking up of the legacy system to Bitcoin continues unabated. And I, I don't know, that's sort of, I'm going to call it good news. I'm just going to go ahead and call it right now as good news because I think the infusion of Bitcoin into the legacy system is probably the only thing that's going to keep the legacy system even remotely relevant in the next 20 years. Um, and if they want to remain relevant, then they're going to have to hook themselves up to Bitcoin in any way possible. This the whole thing, not just this Apple Pay thing, but generally speaking, the Bitcoin defer, uh, to fiat conversion and vice versa on the fly when you're making a payment to me, seems a little kludgy. It, it's, I don't know, it seems a little ham, I kind of ham-fisted a little bit. Certainly not very subtle, but whatever, I mean, the, the innovation of the human species will also continue unabated, so we'll have to see what new and improved systems come online in the future. Now, this one is from Forbes, Powell Koskowski. He's saying that Europe's new AML directive means banks can no longer shut crypto out. And this was written sometime February the 20th. I'm going to go ahead and skip just a little bit uh, to where he gets into the meat of this thing. Um, the FATF recommendations only require financial institutions to terminate customer relationships on a case-by-case -case basis where the money laundering and terrorist financing risks cannot be mitigated. It is, however, not in line with the FATF standards to cut loose entire classes of customers without taking into account seriously and comprehensively their level of risk or risk mitigation measures for individual customers within a particular sector. Nevertheless, it remains a widespread problem for crypto, but this may be about to change thanks to the European Union's much-awaited, I'm not awaiting it, fifth anti-money laundering directive, or AMLD5, under the directive, which entered into law on the 9th of July, 2018. Virtual assets and virtual asset service providers are now recognized as obliged entities, the same designation as banks, payment processors, gaming, and gambling businesses. This means that, Provided these crypto businesses can show evidence of compliance with relevant regulations, they must be treated in the same way as other businesses. Let me explain why this is so important. Oh, please do. Under AMLD5, banks must manage the AML risk related to the specific counterparties they work with. 
They cannot refuse services simply because an entity belongs to a particular sector such as crypto. Cases must be assessed individually, so a bank cannot refuse services just because a counterparty, for example, is a cryptocurrency exchange. Now, I'm going to hold up right there and at least posit the fact that this guy is completely wrong. The reason is precedent has been set that if you are an adult film worker or in the inter adult entertainment industry, I read that as pornography, uh, you have been shit-canned all over the place by many different banks because you are part of a sector. So, I, you know, I'm... <sighs> I'm not all that I'm not all that convinced that this is going to be the I don't know what what the the golden bullet or silver bullet that fixes all of our little problems uh, just because I I don't know pre, like I said precedent has been set but nonetheless continuing this is both a challenge and an opportunity for the crypto asset space in order to reach its true potential and positively reshape the financial industry, blockchain must accept, even welcome, no, the scrutiny of global regulators. No, no, absolutely not. It is incumbent on those of us developing solutions based on this technology to work constructively with governments and regulators, as well as financial institutions to build over time a regulatory and business framework that recognizes the fundamental, fundamentally new reality of crypto. We can use AMLD5 as a starting point to show the wider world our seriousness and commitment to transparency and delivering real solutions. It is just as important for governments, regulators, and incumbent financial sector businesses in particular not to let their lack of familiarity and in many cases comfort or discomfort <clears throat> lead them to unfairly stifle the legitimate growth of the technology, de-risking should never be an excuse for the private sector to avoid implementing a proper risk-based approach in line with the FATF standards. This has been emphasized by the FATF on a number of occasions, clarifying that the standards require, require the application of a case-by-case risk-based approach as opposed to wholesale de-risking. AMLD5, therefore, is a positive development for crypto businesses. Ooh. It is now essential that founders and developers work with regulators from the EU and elsewhere to establish over time precedents for cooperation that work for everyone. All sides must be respectful in this enterprise, and while I believe AMLD5 has its shortcomings, I am confident it can be an open door for crypto companies and can gain a foothold in the mainstream financial sector in a way that helps our industry and the broader economy grow and thrive. <sighs> It is my hope that with this new directive, the EU is signaling to financial sector businesses that crypto must be treated like all other technologies, fairly, on a case-by-case -case basis. <laughs> it is past time for incumbents to stop tarring all blockchain platforms with the same brush and instead start working with us to deliver solutions to our customers. And Powell, whenever it is that you get off your knees and, and, and you're, you know, finished servicing the powers that be, uh, you know, will have a discussion because all this shit is, is doing your duty to the boot wearing people. This, the, the whole way this thing reads is, I don't know it. Honestly, while I was reading this, I'm very much reminded of where I am in the middle of that episode with Marty Bent and Lee Quinn. Um, it's, 
it's almost as if it's impossible for almost, I don't know, 99, maybe 99% of the population to even fathom a system in which, or, or fathom a, a situation where the system that, that we know isn't there. It's all, it's like, it's, it's incumbent upon us to just say, okay, even though we know all the shit that we see is wrong, Macy's making 40% on credit cards instead of selling dresses. No, no, no. And I, you know, I'd be lambasted by some people that I know by saying, but it's a, it's a, it's a business model. Do you have a problem with the business model? No, I got a problem with the retailer not being in retail. That, that's what I have a problem with. I have, I have a problem with people who are run businesses that, you know, used to manufacture shit, but now all they're doing is doing interest rate arbitrage. Are you a bank or do you sell dresses? Honestly, no. And we can, you know, I, you know where I stand on most of the stuff with the Fed and all that. So I won't get into that, but this, these sentences that, that I was reading you really kind of difficult. You know, we've got to comply. We've got, we've got to look like we're serious. No, we're very serious. This shit was serious from the day it dropped. It is. Stop thinking that it's not. Bloomberg flops in debate debut. FTX prediction markets react. Now I talked about FTX yesterday, and this is just a little bit more of it. This is a a, a tiny article, but I thought it was interesting to get back into the old FTX thing and see just how it's working after you know twenty four hours of of you know after I talked about it. Uh, Mike Blur- Bloomberg's disastrous performance at last night's Democratic debate saw his FTX futures contract for presidential win plummet. FTX has developed futures contracts for Donald Trump and five of the remaining Democratic candidates. Those contracts are named after the potential Democratic nominees. There's Bernie Coin, Pete Coin, Biden Coin, Warren Coin, and Bloomberg Coin. <clears throat> All contracts pay $1 for a win. The Trump contract costs around 63 cents, indicating 63% of contract purchasers expect him to win the election. Given they have yet to be nominated, the Democratic candidates are priced substantially lower, with Bernie Sanders at 20 cents, Bloomberg at 10, Biden and Buttigieg at 4 cents, and Elizabeth Warren at 2. Following the debate in Las Vegas last night, most candidates' contract prices remain largely unaffected. Michael Bloomberg was the exception, with his contract plunging from 14 to 10 cents. So he lost four points. He lost four points on his expected bid to become uh, the United States president. Election prediction contracts represent a mere fraction of FTX's overall volume of roughly $786 million. So the crowds upon which the wisdom is based are too small to suggest the prediction should be taken too seriously. Much larger prediction markets have, however, proven surprisingly accurate. Users of Augur, the Ethereum-based decentralized predictive market, for example, correctly predicted a range of recent political events, including the 2018 midterm elections, Brent Kavanaugh's confirmation, and Trump's impeachment. Augur is currently offline ahead of an upgrade. Nevertheless, the data available shows that expectations for Bloomberg slid drastically during his debut debate. 
Whether Sanders' front-runner or status was shored up as a result of his performance has not been reflected in FTX's prediction market. So, again, this may be the only, only time that I am, I'm, I'm not, like, all sickened and made nauseous by a shitcoin. Honestly, it does, I mean, if it's going to provide some kind of at least intelligence, I'm okay. And the fact that it doesn't look like this coin can really be used for anything else. And so as long as it stays within its like, you know, quote unquote wheelhouse, I'm not all that disturbed by it. And it's kind of interesting to watch um, these prediction markets as they unfold through the Democratic presidential debate. So this may be, I don't know. Honestly, I kind of think it's worthwhile. I really do. I, I can't help it. This one, however, is probably not worthwhile. Cardano creator Charles Hoskinson says, hottest crypto developments happening in Wyoming. Now, the Wyoming part I agree with. The fact that Cardano is a shitcoin is... Uh, whatever. It, maybe he'll provide us something. Blockchain entrepreneur Charles Hoskinson, the co-creator of Ethereum and creator of Cardano, just dropped an Ask Me Anything session on YouTube after making 500 grand cryptocurrency donation to the University of Wyoming last week through Cardano's research arm. Hoskinson details how the next wave of progress for crypto will play out in the banking world. Quote, we just love working in Wyoming. It really is an amazing state. There are a lot of things under the hood that are happening in Wyoming right now, and that are just incredible for crypto. I think some of the most exciting things are these special purpose full reserve banks, banks that aren't fractional reserve, but rather have full reserve and those banks will be capable of handling both fiat and crypto assets and be tremendously useful for future digitization efforts, for example, creating stable coins uh-huh, and custodial solutions and so forth and so on and whatever. So Wyoming is just a hotbed of activity and a lot of great jobs are going to be created over the next five to 10 years. End quote. Legalized last year, Wyoming's speedy banks are a new type of banking entity that specializes in cryptocurrency transactions. The banks will focus on offering basic financial services such as Bitcoin payroll, as well as crypto management services for private keys and support for other blockchain-based transactions. As the crypto sphere evolves, Morgan Stanley veteran and former member of the Wyoming Blockchain Task Force, Caitlin Long, says she is extremely optimistic about the impact of regulations on the industry. Quote, the opportunity to professionalize this industry again. Here we're we're doing it again. You're already professionals. Stop getting on the knees and servicing the man. Stop it. It's embarrassing. Continuing. Professionalize this industry to broaden its user base is huge and it's coming. And oh God. And yes, Wyoming will be the home of that within the U.S. In quote, Wyoming remains the only U.S. state to have enacted 13 laws that lay the groundwork for a functional legal framework for the crypto entrepreneurs and companies building solutions for a blockchain based digital economy. Hoskinson's says, the crypto donation to the University of Wyoming's Blockchain Research and Development Lab in Laramie is intended to spur more blockchain innovation that could serve as a blueprint for future donations from other university students who want to set up their own campus research hubs. So uh, Wyoming is definitely not out of the news. I'm not thrilled about the whole Cardano thing, but it's going to be what it's going to be. And at least there's one state who has... Basically, just it's okay to be serious. 
And, and they're not learning to be serious. They came out of the gates being serious. I, that's what's so impressive about this. But again, the language that even Caitlin is using here, I think is completely mismanaged. It's an opportunity to professionalize the industry. <laughs> to me, that really sounds a lot like this is an opportunity for us to put on a suit and look exactly like the people that have been have destroyed the situation to the point that Bitcoin came into being in the first place. If it hadn't have been for the people you're sucking up to, Bitcoin would never, ever have had a need to be done. We, we, I can't imagine how great things would have been had it not been for human greed. And in a lot of ways, I was thinking about this also during the, you know, the, I'm only about halfway through the interview with on uh, TFTC with Lee Quinn, Quinn or however you pronounce your name. Um, and I started somehow or another thinking the, the, the way that she's talking and the way that we heard the guy talking in the Forbes article and the way even Caitlin is talking now, it's almost as if there's something about greed here where it's like the, the system doesn't have to worry about it. Maybe the system doesn't have to worry about it. And I'm talking about the legacy system. It doesn't have to worry about itself because the system has always known that greed will get in the way of everybody eventually. And maybe that's why we have the system we have today. Because humans can't, maybe humans can't help themselves. Maybe we haven't evolved yet enough to be able to get out of that. In my opinion, Bitcoin is the first, best, and possibly last hope that we have to go through an evolutionary turn of the wheel, so to speak, where we have a chance to actually be ethical. We have a chance to take a great pride in being ethical. We have a chance to be able to, to get rid of, of greed for greed's sake. It's okay if you want to open a business and make some money so that you can buy a house. That's not greed. Greed is something different, and I'm not going to describe it because greed to me is probably different, means a different thing than what it does to you. But greed, for lack of a better term, is not good. You know, interest rate arbitrage by a retailer that sells socks is not good. You know, using terms that make us sound like we're, we're little kids that are, try, that are fighting to become you know, part of the World Economic Forum. Dude, no, stop it. We're the professionals, not them. Keep that in mind, guys. And keep that in mind during this one. Brazilian Central Bank promises instant payments platform to compete with crypto. This is Cointelegraph Samuel Haig writing sometime on, the, on February the 20th. The BCB has announced a plan to launch a new near instant payment system during November. The platform called the Brazilian Instant Payment Scheme, and scheme is probably a good word for it, also known as PIX, P-I-X, will facilitate peer-to-peer -peer and business-to-business -business transactions in 10 seconds <laughs> or less via mobile phone, internet banking, or select ATMs. According to a press release published February the 20th, it is mandatory for all financial and payment institutions licensed by the BCB to provide their 500,000 active customer accounts with the functionalities required to facilitate PICS transfer. So it's mandatory. Oh, <laughs> again, ethics. 
the release states that transactions will be executed by using a QR code or by entering identifying information such as a cell phone number, email, or taxpayer identification number, also known as social security number. According to the local media outlet LiveCoin, BCB President Roberto Campos explicitly stated that the platform is intended to compete against distributed ledger-based payment systems while speaking via video conference at a launch event in Sao Paulo, quote, picks came from a need of people that to, uh, came from a need for people to have a payment instrument that is both cheap, fast, transparent, and secure. If we think about what has happened in terms of creation of Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, and other encrypted assets, it comes from the need to have an instrument with such characteristics, end quote. Can you guess why? Campos described the PIX platform as a top priority for the central bank during 2020. He added that PIX will, ha will be more efficient and help to remove from people this need to have physical money as this generates a great cost for society, end quote. Well, if you'd stop inflating your shit, Maybe you wouldn't have to print so much and cut down so many damn trees. It's your fault you're being you're just deforesting the lungs of the planet, not ours. The BCB's website states that the bank and the National Treasury Secretariat signed an agreement earlier this month that will see Brazilian citizens able to pay federal taxes using PICS from November 2020. The release adds that the government intends to issue payments such as income tax refunds, social benefits, and grants using the platform in future. Oh, I have no way I'm going to be able to pronounce this one, so bear with me. Joao Manuel Pinho de Mello, the director of the Central Bank of Brazil's financial system and resolution organization, predicted that PICS will comprise the catalyst for a financial revolution within the country, stating, quote, instant payments will bring a major revolution in Brazil along with the other measures that the BC has been taking, open banking, for example. That's the end of that. But that's not the end of my commentary. Come on. Payments is not it. It's not, it's not payments. It's sound money. There's a difference. I can use money as a payment, but I can also use it as a store of value if the truth of the six or seven uh, characteristics of money hold true. And I, I can't find any problems with those. Being a store of value is definitely one of them. Being able to make a payment with the same thing while you're destroying the value only means that I have to get rid of my money faster and you're making it you're giving me the ability to get rid of my money as fast as humanly possible. I mean, shit, there actually may be a, there may be an argument for having a slow payment system, maybe, except for the people who are losing their value. In, in, either, in, in either event, you're giving me a, a bigger drain for my, for my garbage, for my garbage money, because you're turning it into garbage. It's not the end rail that I have to worry about. It's at the beginning that I have to worry about. When you guys keep printing money, I don't need a better payment system. I need a better money. Start with the money. So this to me is, a, is sort of like one of the first death throws that I see being uh, exhibited by the uh, legacy, legacy fiat system. We're going to see a lot more of this um, I expect it to be like an avalanche of systems that are payment-based when it comes to, oh, look at our new system. It's all going to be about payments. 
they're certainly not going to say a damn thing about making a better money that doesn't lose its value or saying that, you know what, we've really screwed you guys up. We've screwed up your, your future and your children's future. We've uh, destroyed the time that you've spent on this planet by making it worthless. Uh, you know, if I hear that, I'm going to be interested. Because I don't hear that specifically, you know, in this particular particular article, um, all this is is a death throw. That's all it is. Let's get into the vitals. Vital statistics brought to you by bitinfocharts.com. I'm looking at a price of around 9,658. Yeah, if you woke up today to a thousand point drop, welcome to Bitcoin. <laughs> cocaine on the right, hookers on the left. There's beer in the fridge. Wow. So let's see where our uh, high is. Do we have a high? Nope. It looks like that that is our high. I don't know where it's at though. Our low, however, is over at P2P, B2B at 9,624, so way tight trading range here. Uh, 313,000 transactions in the last 24 hours gives us an average of 13,300 transactions per hour. 971,000 BTC were sent in the last 24 hours, giving us an average sent per hour of 40,500 Average transaction value is 3 BTC, and the median transaction value is 0.034 BTC. That's about 325 bucks. Block times are high. Gee, can you wonder why? 11 minutes, 15 seconds, 0.22 BTC have been taken in fees on a per block basis, and 28 BTC have been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Hash rate dipped considerably by 8.9%. That brings us to 103 exahashes per second. That's a hell of a drop. The last time nobody did anything to Bitcoin was sometime today, February the 20th. Ethereum is at 256. Bcash is at 366. BSV is at 287. Litecoin is at sub 70 at 69.64. Ethereum Classic lost its ass to $8.79. Dogecoin took it on the little furry chin, 0.0026. And that's going to do, wait a minute, do they have volume? Yeah, their volume, uh, transaction volume is beat Litecoin. And the, yeah, that's that's really about it. So there, there you go. Now let's see what my node has to say. My node tells a different story. My node's hash rate is sub 100 exahashes. It's at 98.5 exahashes per second. Uh, pretty stacked mempool, 32 megabytes. We have uh, about 14,300 unconfirmed transactions. The last 10 blocks all are full. Lightning Network looks like we have, wow, 11,570 nodes. We have uh, 36,349 channels, and we have a network capacity that has remained the same in BTC, but has lost about, well, 100 million, wait a minute, I'm sorry, 100 million. in liquidity. We are at $8.5 million in liquidity if you're using U.S. dollars to measure that. The number of new nodes that came online is 11. That represents an 83% increase in the last 24 hours. And new channels has decreased by about 25%. We only have 90 new channels that came online in the last 24 hours. There's your vitals. 
Hurry up and regulate crypto. FSB chair urges world leaders. This is the second part of the morning roundup. This is from Bitcoinist.com's Julio Gil Pulger. He's writing sometime February the 20th. The Financial Stability Board, FSB, is asking global finance ministers to step up their efforts in creating regulatory frameworks for crypto and other innovative digital payment systems. Crypto assets and their underlying blockchain technology have already disrupted the financial world to a great extent. As a result, world business leaders are now panicking as they fear that digital technologies are gaining such a moment that could eventually shatter the financial markets as we know them. Pretty sure they meant to use the word momentum, but whatever. This week, Randall Quarles, chair of the FSB and governor and vice chairman for supervision of the United States Federal Reserve, is pleading to regulatory bodies to step up their focus on the impact of crypto on the banking industry. Indeed, Quarles points out that regulators are failing to catch up with the swift developments occurring in the payments industry. In a letter dated February the 18th, 2020, addressed to finance ministers and G20 central bank governors, Quarles wrote, quote, Technology is changing the nature of traditional finance. The non-bank sector has grown and requires deeper understanding and coordination among the supervisory and regulatory community. Pressures that can lead to market fragmentations exist. Concurrently, important supervisory and regulatory issues require attention. In quote, Quarles highlights... The speed of technological advances occurring in the crypto payment sector and the advent of stablecoins, and he ensures the FSB's resolve to, quote, quicken the pace of developing the necessary and regulatory and the supervisory responses to these new instruments, end quote. In his letter, Quarles promises to issue a draft report on these regulatory issues in April 2020. Moreover, Quarles believes that crypto tokens used as payment substitutes might become globally systematic, not least because they fill needs not met by existing cross-border payment systems. Aware of the importance of implementing inefficient and inclusive payment systems for global growth, Quarles informs that the Saudi G20 presidency has already asked the FSB to take the lead and prepare a roadmap to improve cross-border payment systems yeah, again, death throws, you know, maybe not death throws as much as getting backed into a corner kind of thing. I mean, here, the issue, the real issue is that we've seen technological development over the last 20 years in, in so many sectors and nobody real, I mean, okay. The record, the recording industry, you know, records and, you know, music and music industry in general, they bitched the movie industry bitched you know and and this was all happening with you know oh god like tor torrent sites and um oh uh limewire and there was you know and, and for the amount of pirated software that i was able to you know see across my screens on stuff like limewire uh the software industry i didn't really see them kicking and screaming I don't know why, but they weren't kicking and screaming like the music and the movie industry or the entertainment industry in general. And then there was a lot of other stuff, you know, like uh, the internet really disrupted, you know, newspapers and magazines and they bitched and moaned. But the, the, the difference here is that there were so many industries that were kicking and screaming and gasping for air because of technological innovations coming at a pace that they could not keep up with. 
none of them had any real power. This one, this time it's different. I'm, I'm going to say that, and I'm 100% absolutely certain that what I say is true. This time, it's different. Why? Because we're poking a bear. <laughs> and the bear has very long and very sharp claws. It has four sets of them, plus a mouth filled with teeth. And it's big. It's a big son of a bitch. And it has a tendency to be able to hibernate and be okay, like during long, lean winter months. I mean, when you think about it, a bear is almost a perfect predator should it choose to be a predator because it's vicious. It can kill large amounts of things. It eats a fill and is able to go to sleep for six months and be completely fine. <laughs> wake up, you know, wake up after whatever devastation has occurred in the winter time to everybody else and stretch and yawn and go out and do all this shit over again. So essentially, if we look at it as a bear, we get to see the true nature of what's going on here. We're, we're poking this thing and it's, it's completely armed. These things are really hard to kill. And if you, if in this particular case, this time it's the, the this time it's different situation. Um, yeah, now you're going to see the fight. Now you're going to see the people that could have stood up for all the other industries that were whacked by technology, but this time they're going to stand up and this time they're going to protect themselves. It's going to be different. It's going to look different. It's going to be interesting. That's all I got to say about that one. So now, oh God, Cointelegraph really needs to get rid of this banner from right. I'm sick of seeing the, them advertise the CoinGeek conference in London. This is just disgusting. But Connor Blinkensop for is writing for Cointelegraph sometime on the 20th of February. Crypto wallet vows to offer BTC withdrawals to credit cards. A multi-currency wallet has announced that it will allow users in the European Union to withdraw Bitcoin to their Visa credit cards. Lumi Wallet, L-U-M-I, <clears throat> says that its new feature has been built with simplicity in mind. With an easy-to-follow know-your-customer procedure, transactions can also be initiated quickly, meaning crypto enthusiasts don't need to jump through endless hoops. According to the company, the current methods of converting crypto to fiat simply aren't practical, creating a perplexing affair that's not too dissimilar from the arduous process of getting a refund from an online retailer, although selling cryptocurrency to someone else might seem like the simplest way to exit a position, LumiWallet says this is easier said than done. Finding a willing buyer can be difficult, and even then, the price they're willing to pay might not be reflective of the asset's market value. Safety concerns can also emerge if a would-be buyer has dishonest intentions, and by the time that a transaction has been finalized, volatility in the market might mean that your crypto is worth substantially less. Ultimately, LumiWallet's issue is that the middlemen appear to have embedded themselves in the process of buying and selling cryptocurrencies despite the fact that these assets were invented to be decentralized and free of intermediaries. When it comes to exchanges, the company says there are several downsides that have a negative impact on consumers. Although they may be easy to use, there are often restrictions that mean certain countries are excluded from using their services altogether. And to compound the problem, it may not be possible to make withdrawals to a credit card whatsoever. Other issues include the punishingly high fees that can be charged whenever a transaction is made. Again, 
I'm, I'm, I'm sidestepping here. That's the narrative that this is not true. You have to manage the fees. The fact that you're too lazy to do active management of fees is not my freaking problem. I'm sorry that it's your problem, but it's not my problem. I don't have an issue with fees. It's not because I don't think that they're too high. I think that there's no reason that you have to pay the high fees when you are perfectly able to accept the low fees, which are unfairly cheap, as Roger Ver has gone back to saying. Yeah, he's back on the whole bash and segwit thing. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about that today because I don't understand where he's coming from, and I probably never will. But yeah, Ver's back on the segwit bashing bandwagon again. Okay, so alternative options aren't always appealing either. Bitcoin ATMs may deliver speed, anonymity, and simplicity, but they can be exceedingly difficult to find, especially if you live outside of the United States or live in a rural area. Even if you're close to one of these machines, withdrawals can only be made in cash, meaning you'll then have to go through the added step of topping up your card. Anonymity can also go out the window when crypto is being converted back into fiat on ATMs. The team behind LumiWallet says it acknowledges that crypto can be intimidating for newcomers, adding that the goal is to demystify the burgeoning industry and make it accessible to everyone. Providing an effective off-ramp from crypto to fiat is part of the company's philosophy. Making it easy for people to alternate between the two as frequently as they please. It could be argued this is crucial for unlocking that elusive milestone of mainstream adoption, as the freedom to move assets around with ease would eliminate some of the reservations that everyday consumers have about cryptocurrency. Through a dedicated blog, Lumi Wallet has made a concerted effort to offer a back-to-basics education to those who are exploring the blockchain and cryptocurrency space for the first time, offering posts that explain everything from how decentralized finance works to the key distinctions between different crypto types of crypto wallets, or sorry, the different types of crypto wallets. All of this could help to build levels of confidence and credibility in the sector. There you go. Encouraging people to take the plunge and purchase coins and tokens for the first time. Stop it with the build levels of confidence and credibility. If you believe that you are not credible and that you have to fight for credibility, then you've already lost. You've already lost. This cryptocurrency profits... Every time someone dies from coronavirus, man, you want to talk about macabre coin. Wow. Decrypt.co's Matt Husey is writing sometime February the 20th. A group of developers has created a token that goes up in value every time someone is infected by the disease to help raise awareness. Of, of course, it's, it's about awareness, people. We're certainly not in it for profit, are we? Yeah, I talked a little bit about this yesterday, but uh, this seems to have a lot more information about clarifying what this whole Corona coin that I talked about yesterday is. Uh, While the world continues to fret about the coronavirus, a group of crypto enthusiasts has allegedly built a currency that allows hodlers to profit from the pandemic. Corona coin, or the NCOV coin, N-C-O-V is the ticker, although I'm not sure if it's on any exchange according to a post on Reddit, is a token built on Ethereum, of course, because we need the scam platform that goes up in value the more people the virus kills and infects. Man, 
Jeez, good God almighty. The project, according to Sonny Kemp, an admin for Corona Coins Telegram Group, was formed by programmers and activists on the short bus of the internet, also known as 4chan, the controversial forum that helped spawn the hacker collective Anonymous. Quote, we developed the world's first blockchain that tracks the spread of the virus based on its token supply. The token supply started at 6.7 billion and is burned every two days to keep up with official WHO statistics, said Kemp, WHO being the World Health Organization. The company's website promises to donate funds to the Red Cross to help efforts to stop the virus from spreading and buy fuel for the private jet that their CEO runs around in. That's me, not not the story, but that is the truth. The token supply is based on the world population, 7.6 billion people according to the company's Discord site. Every 48 hours, the token is burned to reduce supply in line with reports on the coronavirus's spread. This deflationary measure is designed to push up the value of the remaining coins as more are burned. Token features, this is a little excerpt from, I guess, their website or probably from the short bus of the internet, also known as 4chan. The token features are four, transparent blockchain recorded burning process, portion of funds will be donated to Red Cross for NCOV relief, limited airdrop to raise awareness, see below, and work in progress. We're developing a game. Accumulate NCOV to play. Freaking people. The benefit of documenting the spread of the virus on the Ethereum blockchain is that it's uncensorable. No, it's not. It is very censorable. We saw that with the Dow moving on. People behind the Great Firewall can view the real death statistics by checking our token contract on etherscan.io, said Kemp. The front page of the website has an interactive map tallying the total number of infections at the time of writing. It's Saturday. Wait a minute. Wait. It's at uh, 71,030. According to Etherscan, there are nearly 600 addresses that have bought Corona Coin. So we have 600 bag holders out there, people. <laughs> oh, God. The team took nine days to build the project and are currently developing a strategy game that uses the token. Quote, we intend to launch tip bots so people can spread coronavirus on social media. This will help build public awareness, said Kemp. Quote, a portion of the funds raised will go to charity. This is our goal to spread awareness and help fight the virus. For example, we are currently in talks with a biochemist who is working to develop drugs to fight the virus. Uh, it hurts to read. These are the kinds of partnerships we want to build. Kemp explained the project has allocated 20% of its profits to registered charities. Over, the pro over on the project's Discord, however, users have taken a more Machiavellian approach to the project. Quote, so some guy at my work got the flu a couple of days ago and, is, and now is in the hospital because it developed into pneumonia that is affecting his heart somehow. If he dies, I suggest we add him to the burn count, one user said. When asked whether this incentivizes people to falsely report or worse, encourage the spread, Pete Weathers, the admin on Corona Coins Discord channel said, it has been brought up before and we recognize that aspect of the project. We would never advocate for anyone to do such a thing, obviously. It would be morally and probably legally wrong. We believe Corona token holders are responsible. Yeah, well, you probably thought wrong. Why build a cryptocurrency versus traditional fundraising? Pete Weather said, there are plenty of people out there advocating to help the relief efforts, but we thought this would be a good way to raise awareness in a unique and 
interesting way, end quote. If you're tempted by the project, you'll need a MetaMask wallet and an account on the Saturn Exchange. Alternatively, you can do it the old-fashioned way and join the company's bounty program to help spread the virus and then viruses crossed out and they've replaced it with good word. Yeah, it's all fun and games until shit like this becomes not fun and games anymore. I mean, we already saw what happened with, um, oh God, what the, that whole DeFi thing, that BZX being hacked twice because of human ingenuity. Human ingenuity doesn't necessarily mean that it's just, that it's good. Okay. Ingenuity does not, oh, well, that person is ingenious. Oh, well, they must be good. No, you can be ingenious and do some really horrific crap um, and stuff like this. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not calling for the end of the Corona coin because people are going to do what they're going to do. And I'm sure shit ain't going to be the one to tell them that they can't, but I sure as shit am the one to tell them that these people are screwed in their head. Dude, that's just shit's just wrong. U.S. My, Bitcoin miner aims to repatriate 30% of the hash rate citing national security ting pang writing for coin telegraph sometime on the 19th says bitcoin mining startup layer one tech has begun operations in its west texas facility with an ambitious roadmap to secure 30 percent of the hash rate layer one which raised 50 million dollars in november from teal shasta ventures and digital currency group said it has now bought multiple 2.5 megawatt liquid-cooled mining containers online, or brought, I'm sorry, not bought, but brought. In short-term goal, it is to scale up to uh, 100 megawatts and 2% of the hash rate over the coming months, but its long-term goal, uh, th that's long-term goal is what's raising eyebrows. The company roadmap lays out a vision of repatriating 30% of the hash rate to the United States by the end of 2021, citing national security considerations. On current figures, that would make Layer 1 the largest mining outfit in the world. More than 60% of Bitcoin mining operations are currently located in China, but less than 5% of the hash rate, and none of the hardware for Bitcoin mining has come from the U.S. In a statement, Layer 1 claimed that bringing almost a third of the hash rate back to America will enable the United States to offset China's dominance in Bitcoin mining and improve the country's national security efforts for an asset class with the potential to be a reserve currency. Layer 1 is designing and producing its entire mining infrastructure using proprietary ASIC chips and liquid-cooled mining containers that the company claims enables it to unlock warmer climates where low-cost sustainable energy is <clears throat> is available however much of its custom mining equipment won't be ready until mid 2020 and it is using third party machines in the interim co-founder and ceo alexander legel l i e g l i don't know how to pronounce it said the company was already profitable in the short term and would thrive when others faltered as a result of bitcoin block reward having in may Quote, from hardware to energy, we've redesigned Bitcoin mining from first principles to control every profit and cost lever across our technology stack. Far too many mining operations still work from a playbook stuck in 2017. The halving will be a death knell for many of them. Okay. He's probably not wrong. Um, it'll be interesting to see if these guys also survive, but it may be um, a situation where completely new models you have okay let's say it this way 
you've got a mining operation and you have a profit model on that mining operation and then you operate that way for four years and a halving occurs. Given your operational expenditures and your capital expenditures, can you remodel down to half of the revenue essentially because the Bitcoin halving halves the amount of Bitcoin that you can get from at any given time? Would it be better to completely reimagine your Bitcoin mining model every four years? So like, for instance, um, these guys look like they have modeled themselves for a 6.25 Bitcoin per block solve um, now, and then they'll be able to do that for four years once the halving occurs. During that four years, will layer one have, will, will they devote enough time, energy, and resources to refiguring their model to what would it be, 3.175? Bitcoin, and then recalculate all of their capital expenditures and operational expenditures from that. Because if they're not, then this may be a situation where companies just die every four to eight years. I, I don't know. It just it it seems like it's it's it seems like it's uh, worthwhile to look at uh, recasting your entire profit model every four years in an environment whose profit changes well every four years whatever. Jim coin scam reminds investors all that glitters is not Bitcoin. No, dude, none of it, none of it is Bitcoin, whether it glitters or is an obvious lump of crap like Jim coins. So this is Christina Combin. She's writing for uh, Bitcoinist.com some, uh, yeah, sometime the 20th. The latest unscrupulous villain to plead guilty to cryptocurrency fraud is a man from Southern California. Steve Chen lured investors out of $150 million through a fake cryptocurrency called Gem Coins, supposedly backed by precious gems and amber from his company's mines. <laughs> oh, mercy. Oh, my God. Uh, serial entrepreneur and fraudster Stephen Chen owned seven companies in total in Arcadia, California. These included U.S. Fine Investment Arts Incorporated, which issued a digital currency called Gem Coins. The coins were allegedly backed by stones from mines his companies owned in several different countries, including the United States, Mexico, the Dominican Republic, and Argentina. The web of deceit was intricate enough to entice almost $150 million out of 70,000 bag holders worldwide, according to local Los Angeles NBC. Also, gem coins were, in fact, backed by nothing. Nothing more than the rhetoric and skilled marketing. Also, a half-finished sparkly website that claims, quote, gem coins are tokens based on the Ethereum scam chain technology. It is the core asset of the new Gemcoin marketplace. Users possessing Gemcoins can exchange them for buying digital goods on the marketplace. U.S. Attorney Nick Hanna said in a statement, quote, Mr. Chen's promises to investors were as worthless as his non-existent mines and phony digital currency. Who's on the, who's on the team here? Because it's like it gives a, a screenshot of the, oh my God. <laughs> It contains a wickedly convincing team page and a roadmap with a lot of lorem ipsum. All right, so there's four people that are that are in this screenshot. Tino Giuliano is a founder. He's also given the the uh, title of idea promoter. And literally, there's lorem ipsum in in this in the description under his name. 
as it is with Evelyn Schneider, who's the CEO and co-founder, and Henrik Ansgar, who's the CEO in marketing, and uh, uh, Odal Zhang, the technical director. Every single one of them has lorem ipsum in their description. And it's the same one. It's lorem ipsum, dolor, sit, amit, kusta katar, all this blah, 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 blah. It's literally lorem ipsum. This was on their website. 70,000 bag holders, people. That's how easy it is to scam the human condition. Keep that in mind the next time anybody says anything to you. Charged with duping investors through his faux cryptocurrency scheme on Wednesday, Chen agreed to plead guilty to federal charges. These include one count of tax evasion and a further count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud, according to the United States Attorney's office. Chen is slated to appear in court next month. Due to the severity of the fraud, he could face up to 10 years in federal prison. Hannah added, quote, this case should remind all investors that trappings of success may convey legitimacy, but everyone should exercise extreme care when considering giving hard-earned money to any outfit promoting trendy products and extravagant profits. Rather than put investors' money to work for them, Chen used the millions of dollars to fuel his gambling habit, pay off his debts, and finance his, you guessed it, lavish lifestyle. New investors were lured into the scheme, Ponzi style, by being offered bonuses including luxury cars, cash, homes in LA, and even EB-5 visas for immigrant investors, according to Bloomberg. A further company executive, Leonard Stacy Johnson, pleaded guilty last year to tax evasion as well as making a false statement on an immigration document, he is due to be sentenced in June. One can't blame the mainstream media for lacking a deep understanding of the cryptocurrency industry. However, choosing an image of Bitcoin to headline the story was is ignorant at worst, irresponsible at best. Oh my, that's an that's kind of interesting. Choosing an image of Bitcoin to headline the story is ignorant at worst, irresponsible at best. Unfortunate association with Bitcoin. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I didn't mean to to get off into that, but the, it continues. For a general public still struggling to shake off negative connotations with Bitcoin, news outlets like these only serve to fuel the myth that Bitcoin is a tool for scammers and criminals. The Gemcoin scam had absolutely nothing to do with Bitcoin. Had investors placed their dollars into the number one cryptocurrency instead of thin air, they would have actually made sparkling gains. People really need to spell that with a Z from now on. But yeah, um, I'm, I'm actually really happy that Christina Combin took the time to put that in, that in in this news story, and I I would hope that other uh, journalists would follow her lead, and make sure that everybody you know that make sure that they put in their stories about stuff like this that this has nothing to do with Bitcoin. All the rest of this is scam. It just is. Ninety nine percent of this space is pure. 100% unbridled, unmitigated scam. And it is too bad that it's associated with Bitcoin. The thing that is actually not a scam, but this one is. Ethereum price plummets despite strong network activity growth. I'm sure there's a reason that I've put this in my stack. Maybe I'll discover it by the time I reread this article for you. Cole Peterson is writing for Crypto Slate. I don't know when. Oh, it's uh, sometime February the 20th. Ethereum's intense uptrend seen throughout 2020 reached a boiling point in early February. 
with Ethereum's break above 200, allowing it to incur parabolic momentum that led to its highs of $290. Although the crypto is retraced from these highs, its midterm market structure still remains firmly bullish. And many analysts are now noting that this will likely allow the crypto to soon rally to fresh year-to-date highs. This potential bullishness may also be driven by the fundamental growth seen by Ethereum over the past couple of months with its strong network activity, making it a convincing value investment for long-term investors. At the time of writing, Ethereum is trading down just over 5%. At its current price is $264, which marks a significant decline from daily highs around 285 bucks that were set at the peak of its recent rally. Its recent rally. Now I remember why this is in here. Continuing, it does appear that ETH is moving in close tandem with Bitcoin, which means that where it goes next could be highly dependent on whether or not BTC is able to recover from the intense sell-off it experienced this afternoon and reclaim its position within the five-figure price region. One bullish factor that could allow Ethereum to see some independent momentum is the fact that it has incredible fundamental strength with on-chain transactions and net network growth both climbing at a rapid rate. A blockchain analytics firm spoke about this in a recent tweet referencing a chart showing the rapid growth of various fundamentals Underpinning the Ethereum blockchain, quote, Ethereum price keeps rising on February the 18th. The number of addresses with a balance on Ethereum reached its all-time high with 48.54 million addresses. With a price increase, we saw a total of 717,000 on-chain transactions, moving a total of 3.13 million Ether and $853.7 million network growth of 48.418 thousand addresses end quote despite ethereum's strong fundamentals or not it is important to note that today's sharp sell-off led the crypto to drop beneath the key support level that was one of the primary contributors to its technical strength bagsy a prominent cryptocurrency trader on twitter spoke about this level in a tweet from a prior sorry from prior to the sell-off explaining that eth had previously been able to reclaim its weekly and daily point of control with the crypto being highly bullish as long as it sustains above this level. Quote, Ethereum BTC, despite yesterday's wick to the downside on MEX, talking about BitMEX, we reclaim the weekly and daily POC point of control as support, which in itself is bullish as long as we're trending above it. Although Ethereum has now dropped, dropped below this level, it is still highly possible that its fundamental strength will allow it to once again start climbing higher with this level acting as key resistance that bulls must reclaim. Okay, here's why I put that in there. Every shitcoin chart looks exactly like Bitcoin's chart, and that's for a reason. Without Bitcoin, none of this shit happens. It's none of it is not worth a thing. The every chart you see mirrors almost exactly the same workings that the Bitcoin chart does. Anybody who's claiming that any of these shit coins are independent or can somehow or another decouple from Bitcoin either doesn't fundamentally understand Bitcoin and most likely does not fundamentally understand their own bag of shit coin, but also doesn't understand the whole space. They're it's it's sad to watch people keep going 
you know, I see it all like in my, in my Twitter feed, I see it all the time. Somebody, you know, posts a chart of something like Tron and says, wow, Tron's bullish breakout. No, it's not Tron's bullish breakout. It's Bitcoin's bullish breakout or, oh my God, this shit coin is, it has gone under this level. No, it's under that level because everything is under the level because Bitcoin went under some level. If you want to trade shit coins, be all, you know, be my guest. All you have to do is read one chart. You only have to read the Bitcoin chart, whatever it's doing. If Bitcoin flashes a sell signal and you're a trader and you've got bags of crap, then sell all your bags of crap. Bitcoin flashes a buy signal, then buy your bags of crap by all means. At one point or another, you're going to get wrecked because the only decoupling that shit coins are going to have against Bitcoin is when they get deposited into the dump. I, I wish, you know, if you're a shitcoin trader, I, I know you're not listening to me because it's, I'm, it's well evident that I am not a fan of any of this crap, except Doge. I like Doge. Hey, you know, kill me, whatever. But I don't trade it. Why? Because it, to me, it's like a, it's like a, a vase I keep on the mantle. It's for looks. It has, Absolutely no, it, it, to me, it, it, I don't trade it. I don't buy anything with it. I don't sell anything for it, and I never will. To me, it's just like a picture on a wall. It's pretty to look at. You know, I, I've got a, a soft place in my heart for Doge, but that's it. Other, As far as the cryptocurrency is concerned, it's bullshit. It's like all the rest of this crap. So, you know, be very careful out there, people, when, you know, you're... If for whatever reason somebody posts a chart that says, "Oh my God, you know Ethereum is going to do this," and for whatever reason it kind of get maybe it gets you down because you know as well as everybody else does, or most other people do in the space that Ethereum is just garbage. Um, you you know it you don't have to feel bad about it because this all they're doing is is looking at a Bitcoin chart. Essentially, that's all they're doing is looking at a Bitcoin chart. So I don't know. Oh, if you if you doubt it, go find, go get the top twenty uh, shit coins, and then put them into Photoshop, and somehow or another make them like you know half you know. Well, you could do it in Photoshop easily. Set them all to like I don't know thirty percent transparency, and then in the background at at full transparency, set the Bitcoin chart. Use uh, the exact same time scale and use the exact same uh, size screenshot. Lay them all over on top of each other, and you tell me. You tell me where you actually find any kind of decoupling, and go go back. The only decou the only coupling or decoupling that there really could possibly be, other than when it event all this crap eventually goes in the dumpster, is the fact that none of these were around when Bitcoin was started. Bitcoins, like if you charted out all the way to two thousand and nine, you'll see this huge long tail of Bitcoin that has nothing overlaid on it. You know why? I'll bet you can guess. That's gonna do it for the morning roundup. Okay, your daily train wreck is brought to you by Colin the Crypto Ocelot at Colin the Crypto One. Um, I honestly, I, I not entirely sure if he's serious about this, but it's 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 always possible in this space for somebody to get something so wrong um, that 
you know, that it seems like a joke. I, however, I'm going to give Colin here the benefit of the doubt and suggest that this might possibly have been better in the uh, 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 terrible joke corner. You'll see what I'm talking about here in a second. Because yesterday, or February the 19th, Colin was apparently very upset at 2.30 a.m. because he said, I'm so fucking sick of crypto. I've been sold a dream that is clearly bullshit. I've had my bags packed for nearly two years listening to these hopium merchants, amateurish charters and insiders, but the price has barely moved. I've actually lost money. Tether is a scam. That's the the tether part is why I think it's possibly a joke for those that you don't who don't know. Tether, while being a cryptocurrency, is a stable coin. Quote, well, supposedly a stable coin. It it does oscillate, but it's supposed to have a a dollar peg, meaning that one tether is about one dollar, and it's a way that you can get in and out of crypto uh, exchanges uh, fairly easily uh, without actually going all the way into fiat. Um, so the fact that he's sitting on bags of tether expecting to make a profit, I think is the joke. That's why, I mean, unless you were really, really, I mean, wet behind the ears, like born yesterday in this space, then maybe possibly I could see that you might take this or that this might be serious, but I doubt it. I'm pretty sure Colin, uh, the crypto ocelot, knows better and that this is just a freaking joke. <laughs> Still, though, makes for a nice smoldering pile, does it not? All joking aside, well, no, wait, it's terrible joke corner. Um, of course, there's joking. Let's get into this one. Dad says jokes. I like telling dad jokes, even though I'm not a dad. I'm a faux pas. Get it? Get it? Yeah. Nice. 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 That's actually one of my one of my favorite ones, but... That brings us to the end of episode, what is this, 203 of Bitcoin, and yeah, okay, we're at 9,485, we're smoking a giant dick on this entire red dildo candle, <sighs> wait a little bit, it'll probably go up, number always goes up, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.